Good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hills online Sunday service. Uh, we gather every per, every Sunday morning in person and online at 10:30 a.m. In person, we are at Faith on Hill Church uh, in the Oak Grove neighborhood. Uh, we are wearing masks. We're socially distanced, and we're taking it seriously. Now that doesn't mean that uh, you know we're not having a good time. We're 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 doing uh, all the things together. We're praying together. We're worshiping together. We're studying God's word together. Uh, online, we are here. Uh, 10.30 a.m. Video versions are available on our Facebook page and on our website, faithonhill.com. Also, we have an audio-only version that's available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You only have to search Faith on Hill and you'll find us. Uh, During the week, we have small groups. We have a young adults small group that meets on Tuesday nights. We have our youth group that meets uh, in person on Tuesday nights. Uh, We have a Sunday morning small group, and we have a Wednesday night Zoom small group that I lead. Um, And if you want the link for that, you can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com, or if you just want information about the other small groups. And that's where we take the next step. Uh, If you've been watching with us, but you know, say, I'd like to connect more, uh, that's what we're all about, is connecting the people of God together. And so we, we meet in these small groups. There are questions uh, that we talk about that are based off of the Sunday morning. Uh, so if you're like, oh, I'd, I'd like to go, but I don't know, is, what do I have to do? There's questions, and you've already heard the Sunday morning sermon, so you know what's going on. Uh, and I, like I said, you can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com. Uh, other than that, I uh, invite you to stick around at the end of the Bible study because we have our new worship response time. And um, if you appreciate that, if you have any thoughts about how that could be uh, better or, or more engaging, email me, adam at faithonhill.com. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you have a Bible, open to the book of Daniel, chapter 12, as we begin our last Bible study in the book of Daniel, learning how to live as exiles. Well, today we begin our final study in the book of Daniel. We began studying this book uh, back in January, and today, the last uh, Sunday in April, we we wrap it up. Uh, With every part of the Bible, I I try to approach it uh, as best for that part of the Bible. I don't preach uh, the Psalms the same way that I preach the Gospels. And, and even within the book of Daniel, it's uh, different how I've approached, say, the first six chapters and then chapter 7, 8, and 9. Um, and chapter 10, 11, and 12 has been kind of a different thing too. So today I'm just going to read and give some closing thoughts uh, from Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, if you'll remember, is the third part of the same story. Daniel chapter 10, 11, and 12 are three parts of one event. Daniel received a vision. He was well advanced in years. He had probably been living in Babylon for about 70 years at this point. And he's retired, but God wasn't done with him. And he received a vision that he did not understand. By the way, that's encouraging to me because Daniel, one of the great figures in world history, Daniel, one of the great figures in the Bible, and he didn't understand something. 
He had confusion. And that gives a simple guy like me a lot of hope and encouragement. I don't know about you. But Daniel has this vision. He doesn't understand it. And for three weeks, he fasts and prays and mourns over this vision. It was troubling to him. And then he went about his business, and while he was standing by the river, he saw an angel. And the angel began to speak to him and explain the vision and give instruction and understanding. And this is the the final part. So chapter 10 was describing this encounter with the angel, the the setup to what was going on, um, and the experiential elements of what it is to encounter a, a supernatural being in this way. Chapter 11, the angel gives Daniel the future history of his people leading up to um, the Maccabean Revolt and Antiochus Epiphanes, which we've spoken of last week and back in uh, chapter 8. So we've spoken about it before. And now there's a sort of shift. Chapter 12, verse 1. Well, chapter 11 ends with um, speaking about this final leader who's going to um, invade the beautiful land. Chapter 11, verse 41. Many countries will fall, but Edom, Moab, and the leaders of Ammon will be delivered from his hand. The extent, he will extend his power over many countries. Egypt will not escape. He will gain control of treasuries of gold and silver and the riches of Egypt with the Libyans and the Cushites in submission. But reports from the east and north will alarm him, and he will set out in great rage to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch his royal tents between the sea and the beautiful mountain, yet he will come to an end and no one will help him. And so it's speaking of this great leader, the one who will bring about the abomination that causes desolation. And then verse 1 of chapter 12, the angel says, at that time, Michael, who's the angel kind of given responsibility over the people of Israel, the great prince who protects your people will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. At that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Wait a minute. I thought this was talking about Antiochus Epiphanes and the Maccabean Revolt and the events that led to Hanukkah. But that didn't happen then. What's going on here? I believe it is likely, I believe it is likely that between the first sentence in verse 1 and the second sentence, there is a shift. This happens all through uh, biblical prophecy, especially Old Testament prophecy. Um, where the prophets will get a vision for something and they'll speak and you read it and you go, some of that's obviously talking about Jesus's first coming, but some of that seems to be talking about Jesus's second coming. Um, Some scholars refer to this as partial and full fulfillment. Some Christians refer to this as first and second fulfillments. Uh, The idea that, you know, God says to Abraham, come into this promised land. Leave the the land of your fathers and come into the land I will show you and I'm going to give you all this land. So Abraham gets there. He establishes himself in the land of Canaan. 
And God says, this is all going to be your land, but not yet. You're here, and your son is here, but your descendants went into Egypt for a time, and then they will come back. So Abraham comes to the land God gives him, partial fulfillment, but then the people of Israel don't take the land for hundreds of years. This happens in the book of Isaiah where you'll see Isaiah prophesy and he's talking about something to do in the present, his present. And then all of a sudden he's talking about the day of the Lord and things far in the future. Ezekiel does similar things. Jeremiah, the, uh, the prophet in the Old Testament, he does similar things. I believe that there is a gap. And between the first, verse, or first sentence and the second sentence of verse 1, the, the time frame shifts. How would you, if you were a being that dwelled outside of linear time, and, and that's something Christians say a lot, God dwells outside of time. There's no Bible verse that tells you that. We are extrapolating from hints, glimpses. It's an educated guess, but one that I believe is probably true. And so if you're a being that dwells where God is outside of earth's linear time and then you come into earth's linear time and you're describing events what's the difference between a day and a year between a year and a decade between a decade and 10,000 years probably not that much so from context we kind of know hey there's a shift here the first fulfillment, the partial fulfillment, the beginning of the pattern is seen when Antiochus Epiphanes goes into the temple and sacrifices a pig on the altar and desecrates the temple. The full fulfillment is when this coming ruler who in pop culture, if I said the Antichrist, you would understand that's who I'm talking about, will come into a temple in Jerusalem, and he will desecrate it. And since Antiochus Epiphanes did it with a pig, um, many Bible scholars believe that the same thing will happen in the future, that there will be some sort of um, unholy sacrifice to desecrate the temple then in that time. And there will be a time of distress. Uh, Jeremiah refers to it as the time of Jacob's trouble, um, and that's something you'll see a lot of, of Bible scholars comment and refer to this as. And so we're shifting now and we're talking about future events, future for us, not just future for Daniel. A time of distress, but then everyone whose name is found written in the book, and many times in the scripture, Old and New Testament, the Bible speaks about the book of life, the, the Lamb's book of life, the, the names of every person who was either looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, or now as Christians, we look back on Jesus' death and resurrection. Every person whose faith is in Christ, your name is written in this book. And everyone whose name is written in that book will awake, will be delivered. Some will awake to everlasting life. So anyone who, who was dead, and 
you know, had hope in the Messiah will awake to everlasting life. Others to shame and everlasting contempt. I, I believe that the Bible teaches everlasting judgment for those who reject God. It's not because you reject Jesus. It's because you don't accept him. And what I mean by that is this, because that might sound like I'm mincing words or that I'm trying to like get around something. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. All of us, we were born sinners and then we became sinners. We, we, we sinned. We, we did wrong. All of us. All of us have lied. All of us have had hate in our hearts. All of us have thought better of ourselves than we have of others. All of us have had selfishness. All of us have had, and, and quite honestly, more and more as information and research becomes available, we actually find out that wickedness is far more prevalent than we thought. Far more. You, you think that, oh, you know, there's, most people are pretty good and then it's, it's, you know, just a few bad people until you start to find out all the research that goes into how many people are thieves, how many people have stolen, how many people are cheats, how many people are adulterers, how many people are rapists, how many people are murderers. And the numbers get shocking. You find out how quickly human society can break down and devolve. We brought this on ourselves. Jesus made the way for our salvation. So when we say, if you don't believe in Jesus, then you just continue down the path. The, the justice that our sins deserve was already set. It's the love of God that brings us a hope for salvation. And God's love is extended to all people. And people have to choose to accept that love or not. It's as simple as that. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of heaven, verse 3. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. That's an encouraging word. It's also a word that we have to accept in faith. As we transition from living in a Christian culture, which I would argue was always Babylon, we were just fooling ourselves, but if somebody said, no, I believe that we lived in Jerusalem and now we've entered Babylon, we've entered exile, I don't want to fight with somebody about that. That's not what I want to fight about. Either way, we're here now. And as we transition into recognizing that we live in exile, that we are Christians living in a post-Christian culture, we have to understand that those who are wise, and I'm defining wisdom as somebody who has the fear of the Lord, as somebody who has a heart that is submitted to Jesus, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, but it's not going to look like it. Those who lead many to righteousness like the stars will shine, except not right now. I mean, Daniel, faithful that whole time, and yet how many times did somebody try to kill him or plot against him or his friends or his compatriots because 
They were faithful to God. Verse 4, but you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. So Daniel's being told, hey, your time is done. Good job. I'm assuming when he says roll up and seal up the words of this scroll until the end, um, I'm going to admit that there is uncertainty about what the rest of this verse means. Uh, there's a lot of things it could mean, but whatever it, it means in the bigger picture, for Daniel, it means your time is done. What does it mean that many will go here and there and increase in knowledge? We don't know for sure. Some believe that it's speaking prophetically of our modern times. Knowledge increases exponentially every day. We will know more tomorrow than humanity learned in a thousand years in Daniel's time. And I might be a little hyperbolic in, in, in how I'm you know, saying that, but I'm not far off. I mean, just think about how much we have learned in science and technology, how much you've had to learn just in the last year. I had a crash course on how to do video this last year. Our knowledge increases, and, and, and it could be that that's what this is speaking of. Then I, Daniel, verse 5, looked, and before me stood two others, one on the bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. Because remember, he's standing by a river. So there's one on one side of the river, there's one on the other side. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, that's the angel that's been speaking to him this whole time, who was above the waters of the river. So all of a sudden, there's, there's two people on either side of the banks of the river, and then a, the angel that's been speaking to Daniel the whole time is now kind of hovering or floating above the river. And one of them said to the one clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? Which is the question everybody has. When's Jesus coming back? When is this stuff going to happen? Uh, when is this all going to end? And is God's going to make it all right? The man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand towards heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever saying, it will be for a time, times, and half a time. When the power of the holy people has finally been broken, all of these things will be completed. Time, times, and half a times. We spoke about earlier in the book of Daniel, and I'm not going to reteach that, but it means three and a half years. Verse 8, I heard but did not understand. So I asked, my Lord, what will this outcome be? And he replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified and made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished, the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. As for you... Go your way until the end. You will rest, and at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. So there's this consistent pattern that the Bible is very consistent. There's this day of the Lord. There's a coming time of judgment where the wrath of God is poured out against the sinful, God-rejecting world, at the same time, the wrath of the enemy is poured out against God's people. 
and there will come a strong leader, and he will make a false peace. And after three and a half years, a seven-year period, which we talked about in Daniel chapter 9, after the first three and a half years of that, he will set up the abomination that causes desolation. And then for that last three and a half years, he will war and rage against the people of God. And then it says here, um, in, in verse 11, I'm sorry, I'm going to go back. It says here in verse uh, 9, the wicked will be, uh, continue to be wicked. Uh, none of the wicked will understand, but those who understand will be wise. And sorry, and going back to verse 7, it says it will be for a time, time, and half a time, and when the power of the holy people has finally been broken, all these things will be completed. Basically, what this is saying is when things seem their darkest, when all hope seems lost, when it seems like there is nothing left that can be done, when it seems like evil has triumphed, at that moment, God will set things right. I believe what he's saying here is that for that last three and a half year period, it will be the worst time that humanity has ever endured. And there will come a point where it seems like evil is one. And maybe you're in a dark season right now, and maybe it feels like all hope is lost, and it feels like the, your power has been broken. And I know that God is still working. I have to believe that. I believe that for you. When all hope seems lost, that's when Jesus will appear. Now he says, as for you, go your way, you will rest. The big idea for this morning is that exile will end. Our exile, our sojourn, our journey on this world will not be forever. And death is not the end. If I die before Jesus comes back, then I believe like Daniel, I can trust and you can trust that we will rest and then we will rise and receive the allotted inheritance that God has planned for his people. But if I don't die, I personally believe very firmly that God does not judge the righteous with the wicked. I believe that Jesus took all of God's justice and judgment for any who have placed their faith in him. And so I believe that God will remove his church from the scene before this final seven-year period. I, I believe that the, the people talked about are primarily the Jewish people, God's people, and they will, many will come back to faith in Jesus as their Messiah. I also believe there will be mercy on non-Jewish people during that time, and I believe there will be people that come to faith in Jesus during that time period. But I don't worry that I will be there to see it. I believe that the justice and the judgment of God was taken for me and for you by Jesus on the cross. So I look forward with great hope that even though right now, we are exiles. Right now, we might be living in the truth, and yet people say we are liars. Right now, we might be seeking to live in righteousness, and people call that evil. Our exile will end, and we can have a firm hope. The Bible has been incredibly consistent in its story. 
God made a perfect world. Humanity fell into rebellion and sin. And so God made the way of rescue for his fallen creation. And he became a man. And Jesus, God in human flesh, lived among his fallen people. And when he went to the cross, he went to the cross as the perfect sacrifice. And when he rose from the dead, he rose in the victory and the power of his victory over sin and death. And whatever secret sin or shame or guilt that you hide, whatever thing that you are terrified that somebody would know, whatever doubt that you believe would disqualify you, Jesus has had victory over it and wants to bring victory into our lives. And so like Daniel, we don't have to fear the coming judgment of God. We can rejoice in the hope that we have and we can bring that message of hope to anyone and everyone that we can. I want to invite you to respond to that message of hope. If you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, today is the day to surrender. If you want to know more about what that means, you can email me, adam at faithonhill.com. I would love to talk with you. If, if these are confusing or troubling words, we're going to go into a time of response and prayer. And I believe that we can say, God, I didn't understand everything in here. Can you help me to understand what you need me to know? However God has been speaking to you, today's the day to respond to it. Let's go into our time of response through prayer and worship. I firmly believe that God speaks to us and he speaks to us through many ways. I believe that God speaks to us through the Bible, through his word. I believe God speaks to us as we are in community and fellowship with other believers. I believe that God speaks to us through the working of his Holy Spirit into our souls. And as God has been speaking to us, I believe it's, it's our time to respond to what he's been speaking to us. And so I want to invite you, however that looks, into a posture of prayer. And uh, I don't know how that looks for you. Maybe you just sit where you're at. Maybe you need to stand. Maybe you need to get on your knees. However that is, you fold your hand, you close your eyes, you don't do any of that. Also, feel free to hit the pause button. If this time of prayer, you need to linger in prayer, prayer, if you need to linger in communion with God, hit the pause button. But we're going to go through a process of examination. And I want to invite you to enter this time of prayer with me. God, our Father, we thank you that you have spoken truth into this world of lies, that you have shown light into this world of darkness, that you have brought peace into this world of strife and conflict. I want to invite us to reflect and think about this past week. Think about the highs. Think about the lows. Think about how your week started and what you had hoped for. Think about how your week ended and what actually happened. Think about the, the things that you wish had been different. Name those things to God. Surrender them to Him. Think about the things that you are grateful for. Name those things. Give praise to God for all that you have to be grateful for.
Father, I pray that you would take my emotions, the emotions of all who are praying with me, make us aware of them, help us to be honest about them, how we think and feel about how this past week has gone, how we feel about the week that's upcoming, our emotions about things that have been in the news, our thoughts about even the the words that we read from your scripture today. Lord, give us self-awareness about how emotionally we are responding and reacting to life around us. Finally, Father, I ask that you would make us grateful for the work that you are doing and the work that you have done and the work that you will do. And I'd invite everyone listening to name before the Lord the thing that you are grateful for and praise him for it. Today I'm thankful for the family that God has blessed me with, my wife and my sons. I am thankful and so blessed with the family God has has given to me. Thank you, Lord. Lord, for all of the things that we aren't grateful for, the things that trouble us, the things that we regret, the things that we wish weren't, we trust you with that. And if we don't, we pray that you would give us the ability to. Lord, I ask that you would help us to walk into this week, this final week in April, empowered, full of faith, full of hope, full of love, full of gratitude. And to that we say, in the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you and we'll see you this week in the small groups and next Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m.